All right, I'm pleased to be joined here by creator of the NHL Rank King app, as well as writer for Dauber Prospects, Mason Black. Howdy, Mason. Howdy, how you doing? I'm doing quite well, you know, highly caffeinated, ready to rock, talk some prospects. Excellent. I love it. Uh, Mason, are you mentally and emotionally prepared for an NHL draft in about a month's time? I'm getting there. Um, slowly coming around to the fact that this may actually happen before the end of a regular season. If that happens before the playoffs, it's uh, definitely unusual times right now. But uh, I think we as fans and prospect writers have to be prepared for whatever comes up. And I think it's going to be a decision that's made rather quickly. And everybody has to get uh, their ducks in a row and try to make the best of the situation. Yeah, you said it, making the making the best of the situation. Like emotionally, I'm I'm fired up. Like if there's gonna be an NHL draft, we've got hockey content. Like let's get after it. Mentally, I, I don't like what I've heard about what their plans are for kind of organizing the draft. And it seems like it's gonna be rushed, but then again, they still haven't actually announced that they were gonna do it and it's been two weeks since they started really talking about this thing and they still haven't come to a concrete conclusion. So maybe we'll have more time than we expected. And certainly that's why I'm having folks like you on to come uh, educate me about, about prospects that I should be looking at. Um, Mason, how long have you been, you know, scouting and following prospects? Well, Pretty much everything I do is from a fantasy perspective when I'm evaluating players and prospects. Um, I've been in fantasy dynasty leagues for at least uh, 20 years, if not um, probably 25. Um, more intense in the last decade with the nature of some of the pools I'm in. Uh, some of the deep dynasty where we have a farm system of 30 plus players in it. Um, I've run a uh, uh, a website, a fantasy hockey website, about a decade ago called One Stop Fantasy Hockey, and um, it came kind of to a crashing end during the last lockout, and I had uh, some other commitments that came up at the same time that I quickly moved to. Um, you know, I've coached hockey for over 20 years now. Um, I don't really consider myself much of a scout, uh, and I use that term loosely as I have nothing but the utmost respect for the people that grind it out and go to the rinks and drink dirty coffee and you know drive through snowstorms in the middle of winter um but uh yeah so i've been in the game for pretty much as long as i learned to walk and skate and uh i'm loving it that's freaking crazy so at home instead of playing risk and monopoly y'all were playing fantasy hockey yeah i had uh, an older brother who sort of showed me the path into the net as a goaltender and uh, my younger sister uh, she ended up winning two national championships, um, NCAA championships in the States, and captained a couple pretty phenomenal teams. I think she even has a sweater still in the Hockey Hall of Fame right now. Um, so it's sort of in our blood, I guess. That's crazy. That's that's very exciting. And uh, certainly, you know, what, what's it like having having some folks uh, in your family who who achieved at the absolute highest level? Um, it's pretty remarkable. You know, you're pretty proud when you see something like that. I was fortunate to go down for one of the national championships um, after my own team was knocked out. So uh, 
it was a it was a pretty cool experience and there's a little bit of jealousy in there but i think that's overshadowed by uh pride to see that and see her carry around uh um the trophy around the rink which is pretty awesome right i, I suppose there's there's no way there wouldn't be some amount of uh sibling rivalry in there but uh, i guess that just motivates you to excel at, uh, exactly. at what it is that you're doing for sure uh, so we talked about the NHL ranking app, or at least we introduced it. Uh, can you kind of explain uh, what that is and, and uh, you know, what uh, PNHLE is and how that works? Definitely. So um, a couple of years ago, um, so my full-time job, I'm a high school teacher. I teach math and computer science. And as a part of my computer science courses, um, I teach students how to develop apps. Uh, so whether it's for iPhones or for Android devices, and I figured if I'm teaching students how to do this, it's probably in my best interest to figure out how to do it on my own and see if I can come up with something. So um, a few years ago, it started out just on an iPhone app, pretty basic. Uh, you'd have two players pop up, two prospects perhaps, um, Alex Lafreniere, Quentin Byfield, and you'd have to choose which one you think would be the better fantasy option. And every time that you made a choice, or cast a vote, it would repopulate a database and then that would create a ranking system so that you can funnel in and see, you know, which players are funneling up to the top and which ones are moving down uh, towards the bottom of a prospect fantasy list. Um, and then from there, um, I was enjoying doing some of the programming and stuff on the side. So every time that I came up with a question for myself in a fantasy pool, I tried to implement that into the app. So it's kind of taken on a mind of its own and um, has you know starting to generate a little bit of buzz I think you know a few thousand people have now downloaded it and um, the app works better the more people that are contributing to it so it's not in my hands it's not one guy trying to come up with um, some t type of fantasy ranking system it's you know thousands of people that are constantly contributing every day and uh, it starts shuffling players up and down the different types of rankings that are inside of that so uh, PNHLE is a little bit different. Um, it's a stat to predict the prospect's point potential. Nice alliteration there. And the NHL, if, if they make it, it doesn't evaluate how good a player is or whether or not they will make it. So it basically takes age, point production, the position a player plays, and the league they're currently in. Throws those four different things into a little bucket, tosses them around, and comes out with a single number, which is representative of the ceiling the point production ceiling that a player could get in the nhl so as you can imagine um, the further away a player is in the nhl it's pretty difficult to come up with an exact estimate for how many points they're eventually going to get in the nhl so that's basically pnhle it comes with its works it doesn't have a lot of other variables that would be nice to have in there things like time on ice uh, the line mates that they're playing with so those things are pretty big factors that can obviously inflate a player's value or it can decrease a player's value depending whether or not you're playing with Alex Lafreniere or sitting on the third line with some bum from uh, Smith Falls, Ontario. <laughs> hey, don't knock Smith Falls too badly. That's uh, that's where my brother's hanging his hat these days. Oh, really? That's actually where I was born and raised. So I, I figured if I was going to insult my place, it better be my own hometown. <laughs> I, I kind of figured. Uh, so Mason, I did uh, I did the journalistic faux pas of asking you two questions at once. 
and you did the uh, interviewee uh, success story <laughs> of successfully navigating it and answering both of those. So I'm going to circle back to the ranking app just a little bit because uh, you struck on some things that I want to dive into. So you mentioned that you're a high school teacher and isn't it just like the the best way to really learn something or figure out what you know about something when you have to teach it? Absolutely. There's no question. So um, we've my students have actually worked on some pretty massive projects um, that were sort of pan-Canadian. We took a look at um, military soldiers uh, that enlisted in Canada or were conscripted in Canada in, in the Great War and World War One, and we focused on a couple different battles. I know this is outside of the realm of fantasy hockey, um, but it's it's pretty interesting stuff. So we focused on the Battle of Vimy Ridge and the D-Day landings at Juneau Beach and the soldiers that fought and were unfortunately killed. And uh, some of our best Canadians, the generation was lost on those battlefields. So the students actually got to develop an app and it was entirely based on um, what they thought should be inside of the, of the app. So pretty cool stuff and uh, pretty proud to be attached to that. Okay, so you're going to have to tell me more. What, uh, like, how does that app work and, and what exactly is the idea with it? Well, we started it. We wanted to, to take off something that was a little bit bite-sized. Um, you know, a, a, there were a lot of detractors um, said, you know, high school, high school students couldn't develop sort of a, um, an app that would be downloaded inside different app stores and whatnot. And uh, we focused on, I mean, looking back, this is a pretty bad choice, but we focused on the Windows phone. Um, and at the time, um, it was starting to gain a little bit of popularity, but uh, unfortunately, it's since pretty much died off <laughs> along with the app that we created. So we started um, with the 279 Canadian soldiers that landed on the first day of D-Day and were killed in action on that day. And then from there, we have um, we set up a structure across Ontario where we'd have students looking at an individual soldier that fought and died, and they would do a massive amount of research, populate a database, and then my students would take a look at the most interesting aspects, almost like creating a, a Facebook profile of some sort for each one of the individual soldiers. That's so interesting. So it was almost like creating, like you said, uh, a Facebook profile, but it almost sounds like a like a World War One uh, Wikipedia type deal. Yeah, it's very similar to that. Um, I mean, like if you went into like a single soldier's profile, uh, you could actually take a look at the exact building where they were, uh, where they grew up. Um, the place that they enlisted, you could take a look at the maps and it would actually take you, you know, from Smith Falls, Ontario to enlist in Kingston to train in um, Toronto and then uh, enter a boat in Halifax and cross, cross over, do some more training in Great Britain, and then eventually land on the shores of northern France, um, where unfortunately that's kind of the end of the story. That's so interesting. That uh, that reminds me of, I just went to the uh, World War II Museum in New Orleans this past fall. Oh, yeah. And you go through like the whole experience, like you jump on the train and like you, before you jump on the train, you get this ticket where you, you 
just like you say, like you end up with a, a profile of someone who actually did that. So like you, you find out like what regimen you're going into and all this stuff and you, you kind of go on this train and you learn more about them. And then like the whole way through the museum, you would learn about what they would have experienced in those various different uh, situations of going to battle. That sounds amazing. And it's very similar, actually. Um, and the best part is the students become the experts. You know, they become the expert. Most of the files that the students are opening haven't been opened in 75 years if they're studying a World War II soldier or over 100 years if it's someone from the Great War, which is pretty, pretty amazing. And there's some amazing stories that also come from that. We've had students, you know, you can imagine in a history class, we have, you know, a little Bobby Joe at the back of the room that has absolutely no interest. He gets a file thrown on his desk and he opens it up and realizes that this soldier actually lived inside the same house that he did. And you want to talk about engagement, suddenly little Bobby Joe, you know, he shows up to class not only on time early to talk to the teacher and to tell him the stories and the, and the information that he's digging up. That, this, is, this is amazing. Mason, where were you when I was in high school? <laughs> well, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm working with a history teacher and he's pretty much written the game plan and it's uh, a curriculum that's now across Canada and every province and territory called the Lest We Forget Project and we've tied it into Library and Archives Canada and they've digitized now every single soldier file that we can access as Canadians entirely for free online and we're the only country around the world that's been able to do this. Um, so it's a pretty special thing to be a part of. That is, that is outstanding. You were doing, uh, you're doing the Lord's work with that, uh, bringing those stories back to life and, and teaching the, uh, the future generations uh, about yeah. stuff that they never probably would have dove into otherwise. Yeah. I think, you know, with every new generation, we just get that much more removed from, the sacrifices that these young men and women made when they enlisted and you know they gave up everything and uh, a lot of them are still sitting on the battlefield or a graveyard uh, close by in France and Belgium and Germany and um, you know I think it's it's up to us to try to pay the respect uh, that these guys deserve and uh, it's a pretty interesting project to, to be a part of and the best part is like as a teacher I kind of sit back and let the students decide what it is that they want you know the vision that they have for an app or something that they're, that they're going to create so the second sort of um, project once once we had a lot of success the students were awarded the um, lieutenant governor's award for heritage uh, after they produced the app um, we actually got it produced and submitted it to Microsoft and two days before the anniversary it was accepted uh, which is pretty fascinating this is so an amazing story yeah so the second version of the app we said wow we got to go bigger right you know a lot of people said you can't do this as as a high school teacher or the high school students would not be able to handle some of the infrastructure of creating an app uh, so we said yeah, absolutely, we can. And the second iteration, we ended up going after the 10,000 soldiers um, that were casualties during the Battle of Bimmy Ridge over 100 years ago. Now, you can imagine over 100 years ago, there's a lot fewer information 
in terms of things to dig up, but we're, we've got students calling across Canada, trying to find a great, great grandchildren um, and the war medals that they still have to this day, which is pretty fascinating. The skills that these students are learning that they otherwise wouldn't have like even possibly have thought to touch on are outlandish. Like this is, this is such it, the scope of this project is just like something uh, of a level that I can't even imagine having taken on as a high school student. This is this is fantastic. How have I not heard of this before? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. It's, you know, it's something that, you know, we try to make bigger and better all the time. Um, right now, we're not currently working on one specific project, but we got some some ideas that uh, we're doing some research on. So we're, we're trying to focus on the indigenous soldiers that uh, signed up in World War I and World War II. Um, we wanna take a look at some of the missing voices in Canada. So we're looking at black soldiers that were part of regiments or a part of their own regiment that not many people know about. Um, some of the nursing sisters that also, you know, they signed up, they, they enlisted and they went over there and they were on the front lines of some of the most notorious battles that uh, Canada was a part of. Mason, I'm, I'm dumbstruck. Uh, where, where can I find this? Where can I learn more about this? So the Vimy Ridge app should actually still be inside um, the iPhone, um, I forget what, I guess the App Store. Um, now it hasn't been updated, so I don't expect it's going to be working too well because, you know, the last time we actually submitted it and the last update was probably close to five years ago now. Um, the other one, like I said, when Microsoft's phones kind of died out, uh, when they're trying to battle Apple and Android and they, they failed miserably at that, that one's kind of died out with it, unfortunately. Oh, that's too bad. There's got to be a way to resurrect that in, in some other format where, where people could access it. Yeah, uh, and that's, I mean, I still have all the co code for it, so it's just going to take, you know, another team of high school students that want to take on this task and, you know, resurrect it. And the best part is now that we have the tie-in with Library and Archives in Canada, we can feasibly take all of the information for close to 2 million soldiers that uh, enlisted in World War One, World War Two, and even the Korean War um, in Canada. Oh, this is this is awesome. So uh, I'll make sure that I and hopefully anyone else who's listening and is interested goes and checks out that Vimy Ridge app, uh, even if it proves to be outdated. I want to learn some more. I'm not a huge uh, history buff, but certainly this has uh, this has tickled my interest. So I'm gonna go check that out. Uh, spinning it back around to, <laughs> to I apologize. I really no, <laughs> no, don't don't apologize. This is this is fantastic. I, I you know I've I've been directing the podcast in kind of the direction of hockey because that's where I made my bones as a writer. But I'm not married to that idea. You know I I've got kind of eclectic interests. I, I listen to podcasts of all sorts of different stuff. I, I'm, I'm always picking up books in uh, different, different lines of, uh, of thinking and, and different topics. So the fact that this went in a completely different direction than what we were anticipating is 
it's what this podcast is eventually supposed to be. So thank you for sharing this and uh, yeah, spinning it back to, to your NHL ranking app. It sounds a heck of a lot like I can't, Oh God, I can't recall what the thing was now, but there was this website that they were basically, they were trying to do the same thing uh, for predicting all sorts of sporting events. And it was, it was all based around the idea that they could take a group of experts and any single one of them would their ranking for like a horse race any okay. individual like an awesome sports better their own ranking going into that horse race that none of them would be correct but right. if they grouped all the data together based on like their their certainty level with all this stuff and it was all built on this app where they would have, I don't know, four horses matched up against each other. And then they would have the, all the betters would, who's, who's going to win out of these four horses. And they would pull on this widget based on how certain they felt about these specific horses. And they would do this a bunch of times. And eventually it would spit out this ranking that they ended up pegging all the correct top five for the the triple crown this one year oh really yeah it was oh god it was it was several years ago and so i got really excited about that idea and i tried like i downloaded the the website or the app or whatever it was and this is when i was still writing for dauber hockey so i was like pushing can i get people to come on and try this widget thing and see if we can you know build some rankings i think it was for like a playoff pool or something like that i was doing it for but it didn't end up getting off the ground i didn't get that much interest in it but it sounds like you've developed something similar and yeah, it, I, yeah. it seems to be going well yeah, I mean, that was kind of the intent is, is that you use, like, with my math background, the law of averages, right? Any individual ranking system is going to have inherited biases inside of it. So how do you pull that out? You know, how, how do you um, average that across, you know, instead of maybe one person, 10 people, a thousand people, and then suddenly... Um, those those rankings start to become a little bit more accurate over time. Now, does that actually happen? Not necessarily. Like this past week, for some reason, Oliver Wallstrom becomes one of the top 20 NHL prospects out of nowhere. So I have no idea why he's suddenly, suddenly getting so much love, but some of the guys that are in the 30 to 40 range, I don't think I would necessarily um, have Wallstrom ahead of those guys. That's interesting that he would see a resurgence. I wonder if, you know, a really popular article was just written or something like that, that pushed him back into the forefront because he's a guy who, you know, I kind of feel like people have soured on. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of my expectation. So usually, you know, like once every couple of weeks, I'll post one of those lists on Twitter and just sort of see the backlash of like, why the heck is Wallstrom there? And, you know, Kravstoff's not not in the top 15, you know, so it's kind of humorous at times. But um, most people think that I'm the one that's coming up with these rankings, but it's really just a collective consensus um, ranking from everybody that's using the app. 
Right. So you're kind of like uh, Bob McKenzie with his uh, draft list. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very similar. Um, Now maybe a whole bunch of New York Islanders fans got on there at the same time and then suddenly Wallstrom uh, starts jumping up the rankings, but I'm not sure. And it could be like things are totally randomized. So maybe randomly Wallstrom came up, you know, 90% more than some of those other players. So he's going to get some extra votes because of it. I'm not sure. Maybe uh, we've got a John Scott situation at work here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're, they're subverting the ranking app. Right. And then the next thing you'll know is Wallstrom will make the all-star team next year and win the MVP. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be just how it works? But uh, that'd be a good thing because that means we had uh, NHL action to, uh, to watch. Yes. Yeah, that would be worth it for sure. Okay, so spinning around to PNHLE, so I've, uh, how much of this is based on previous work that other folks have done with NHLE? Um, I mean, I use that as the basis, but there was always something nagging me when, whenever I saw NHLE, and it doesn't include age, and I think that's probably the most important variable that you have on a prospect to predict, you know, how are they going to do in the NHL? Um, so NHLE will only take a look at how a prospect is this year and if they made the jump next year into the NHL, what should we expect from them? Where PNHLE isn't saying next year, it's saying when they're in the prime of their career, if they make it to the NHL. Um, so it definitely uses the basis of NHLE, but certainly has another layer with age incorporated into that as well as position. So um, early on, I made the decision that I wanted to equate defensemen with forwards so that there had to be some sort of multiplier that was different for every league that says, you know, if a defenseman's getting 20 points in 40 games in the KHL, then they're also going to get multiplied by another number to see how that compares to other forwards inside of the KHL at the same time. Interesting, because it it sure seems like that would have been an obvious thing to include the age distinction, because we obviously we know how aging works. And I don't know, for for whatever reason, I I guess that was never included. And going back through some of these redrafts, some of the guys, you look at their scoring profiles and they're drafting guys at, 18 19 versus 17 year olds and they're they're banking on what they did as 19 year olds uh rather than looking what at what they did as 17 year olds as being the better indicator of what they're going to score like in the nhl exactly and and there's a big difference between a 17 year old and a 19 year old in the ohl um in the ushl um and certainly in pro leagues um you know especially in europe yeah, I wonder if the the kind of the NHLE creator just wasn't concerned about those factors, or maybe they just they weren't someone who was who was looking at uh, teenagers every day and didn't uh, kind of make that connection. Yeah, and it could very well be that they weren't trying to do it as um, trying to project, you know, what's what's the full capacity of this prospect, whether or not it's just a matter of you know next year this is what we should expect from this this guy if they make the jump um i believe gabe desjardins was the first first person to come up with it quite a while ago why sorry a while ago and rob volman took it another step uh rob volman's come up with some pretty amazing books if you want to get into some of some of the analytics and he was recently hired by 
the LA Kings, I believe, last summer. Um, so he's their head um, statistician for the LA Kings now. And if you take a look at their prospect pool, they are absolutely stacked. Right. And I think Gabe Desjardins, at, at one point, he was operating kind of the, the foremost website on the internet for looking up kind of analytics and stuff like that, if, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I don't think it's up anymore, but um, I'm sure if you looked into the internet archives, there's probably some stuff still kicking around. Yes. And Rob Volman, uh, what uh, what team did you say that he was uh, with again? I'm pretty sure it's the LA Kings. Okay, yeah. Well, they've they've been knocking it out of the park with their their recent drafting. Exactly, exactly. And I'm sure we'll probably talk about some of their most recent picks when he was on board um, later on this podcast. Right. So you mentioned that you do the age adjustments. Uh, are you adjusting the measures for every league each season to kind of better grasp how those leagues evolve over time? Yeah. Um, so usually in the summer, I, I take a look at um, all of the da data that comes from all of the leagues. I'm only looking at 11 leagues right now. So uh, I tweak the formulas based on, you know, is there a difference? So every league gets its own individual NHL equivalency. But before that takes place, there's the age adjustment that takes place for that. So that when we're looking at even this draft year, Quentin Byfield is one of the youngest players inside the draft. So when we're comparing him to Alexis Lafreniere, you know, it's a big difference when we're comparing those two players. They come from different leagues. Uh, they're different ages. But once we get the age adjustment for a single league, then the NHL equivalency comes into play so that we can adjust from one league to the next. So to answer your question, yeah, every league gets its own formula and those are readjusted every summer. Interesting, because I certainly, I, I've heard the, uh, the criticism over some of the point totals that players in the OHL have thrown up this season. Th the thinking being that this season, the scoring in the OHL has been bonkers relative to past years just because of a I don't know a disparity in talent level some some teams that have just tanked to the bottom and and really boosted some players point totals so it's based on the previous season scoring is kind of how that tweak takes place yeah yeah so I take a look at um, last year and and see the difference between those two there are some things that come into play that sort of um, makes it a little bit more difficult. So scoring was up in the OHL and it is the highest scoring league compared to the Q and the W or the dub. And it's not, it's actually pretty close between the OHL and the Q. It's not that much different compared to um, the dub, which uh, does have a little bit of a lower scoring overall. But when you take a look at the Q, the top end teams there are pretty different. Like there's a lot of parity inside the OHL. I mean, the top teams are still significantly better, but the Q, there's a big difference between the top teams and the lower teams. So that makes it a little bit more difficult when you're trying to compare um, a player that's playing on a phenomenal team versus someone that's, you know, playing on, on one of the bottom feeders. Yeah, I've always known that the Q is kind of that league that isn't as strong. And so you have to uh, downweight 
point totals put up by uh, prospects in that league because it just the disparity seems to be that much greater than in the other leagues exactly um so are there any statistical thresholds or benchmarks that you can use to tell if a prospect is is worth time or energy to put into yeah so when i made the pnhl east stat um i took a look at only players that were playing in the nhl and i'm mostly focused on those that are are fantasy relevant um so that means i'm not taking a look at you know joe schmo who put up 120 points um and was playing next to i don't know let's say connor mcdavid for the erie otters but never made it so i'm only focused on players that eventually make it to the nhl um, and what that allows me to do is it allows me to start to work backwards. Um, if we look at some of the stats and some of the graphs that are coming out right now because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we don't know what the future is, right? We try to flatten the curve, but what does that mean? Um, does that mean that we're going to get another spike again in, in the fall, as some people are suggesting? We just have no idea right now. But when I did PNHLE, I was able to look at a player and say, well, he, I already know the outcome. I already know that Connor McDavid has the potential of scoring 120 points, so I can work backwards and I can pinpoint his age when he was playing in Erie. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I'm just wondering if, so if you look at a player's PNHLE, is there a threshold when looking at that that a scout could kind of use as a quick shorthand to be like, should I even bother going to watch this player if their PNHLE score doesn't hit a certain threshold? Right. Um, yeah, I would say like if, if any player gets over a hundred is a surefire NHL star, if not a superstar, there's there might be like one player, I think Nail Yakupov maybe put up over a hundred PNHLE. Um, but he's probably the only guy that's inside of that range. Um, Usually there may be one player per draft year that surpasses the 100 threshold. This year, Byfield, Lafreniere, and also Marco Rossi surpassed that. So it's a pretty special year. And I think this is going to go down as one of the best draft years that we're going to see in probably the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Mm. So there's, there's some superstars brewing in this draft is what you're saying. Yeah. Like I think Lafreniere without a doubt is going to be a superstar. Um, he's the only player I believe that I've ever seen. Actually, sorry, I think Connor McDavid may fall into this where he put up three consecutive 100 plus PNHLEs um, during his tenure inside the CHL. Um, Byfield, I think, was in the high 90s last year as well. So he's, he's on the verge. Um, and outside of that, uh, I think Rossi is playing on a strong team, so that could inflate his results a little bit. But um, I think he's going to be a star. Mm, I would have thought John Tavares would have would have kind of qualified for that as well, because he was notoriously someone who came in as a uh, as an exceptional player type status, but then he had the later birthday, so he piled up huge numbers. But I guess that later birthday would have been factored into the uh, PNHLE. Yeah. The, the other thing there too is uh, Tavares. I don't like Tavares too much in terms of PNHLE. I think he ended up posting the highest value I've ever seen uh, because he came in as an exceptional player and posted 
what was it like close to 100 points his exceptional year which just like totally messes things up but I think he's an outlier um, but you're absolutely right he could have easily put up three consecutive 100 point um, campaigns interesting um, so is there a threshold that like you could you could look at and say this prospect isn't like worth even thinking about um, it's difficult because a lot of players, so, so something like time on ice or situational deployment is not into the formula whatsoever. So um, a player like, let's say, Lucas Raymond, um, he has the ability, I think he's got the potential to be a superstar and could go third overall this year. But he was barely barely used in the SHL this year. So his numbers are going to be r ridiculously low. So you really do have to watch out for that. And sometimes you just have to filter some, some players out. Um, if a player is playing on the first line, typically their PNHLE is going to be very accurate. If a player is playing on the third line, then you can expect his numbers are going to be somewhere around, you know, the 30 to 40 range. If a player's playing on the third line and hits a 60, that guy's probably going to end up being a superstar. So if we had accurate time on ice totals, then you could adjust the PNHLE even to an even greater level and maybe we would have those thre those thresholds? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. I mean, the, the, the trouble too with formulas is the more variables you start throwing into a formula, the more noise there is and the more variability that you're going to get. So you do have to be careful of that. But I would think if I had time on ice, um, that would definitely give a better indication of how good a player is going to eventually be down the road. Right. And it, it's I unfortunate be, um, because uh, the CHL does not give that the AHL doesn't give time on ice uh, mm -hmm. many of the European leagues do but it's really difficult you can't say well I'm going to use time on ice in the SHL but I'm not going to use it for the same formula inside the Quebec major junior league right and have you thought about using kind of the estimated time on ice that uh, some of the websites out there like prospect stats the former website used to have those up there right um, I've thought about it um, and and I, I think I talked to Stephen Birch. He might have been the one that came up with that. And, and I mean, his his idea to come up with that is brilliant. But there are still some things that make it inaccurate. And I don't know if it would um, it would sort of make things the end result not be as accurate as you'd want it to be. So it's it's one of those things that you know I'm dealing with four variables. We'll keep it as simplistic as possible. I know other people. I think Will Scouch is uh, doing some work um with a very similar stat to PNHLU right now and he may be using that interesting yeah I've, I've kind of been i've been picking away at this idea on you mason just because i've i've heard of nba teams having a stat where they can look at uh, players college performance and stuff like that and have a threshold where they know okay this guy doesn't meet it there's we're not even going to waste any time uh, scouting this player Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, ideally, you know, an NHL GM should just pass that information along to me and I'd be happy to put it together for them because I'm sure they have it. But it's just one of those things that unless I have it for every league, I don't want to start utilizing it in very specific leagues. Right. Yeah. So it might, it might just be a case that because most prospects 
for the NBA, they come out of the NCAA, it's much easier for them to put that together because they have they have all the data that they need. They have the, you know, the time on the court as well. It's, it's, it's all kind of coming from uniformly from one league. So it's much easier to put together. Yeah, exactly. And, and even in the NCAA for PNHLE, um, it is differentiated that there are stronger conferences compared to each other. So if a player is playing in the Ivy league um, compared to the big 10 or uh, the NCHC, there all of those players are going to have their stats adjusted depending on the conference that they're playing in. Yeah. And that, that certainly makes sense, right? Because there, there are differences between those conferences. So Mason, uh, are there any players that stand out as significantly against the grain by PNHLE versus what, uh, you know, what public scouting resources are throwing out there? Um, if I think back, one player that I was really high on, um, and this kind of got thrown in my face, uh, a defenseman by the name of Zayat Pagan. Now, do you remember him? Uh, I recognize the name. Yeah, he was in the Oilers system. They drafted him. Um, he had a really good World Juniors. Um, I can't remember the team that he was playing on in the KHL. They didn't have enough room for him, so they transferred him to H.C. Soshi, and he had a ridiculous rookie year. Uh, in fact, if I take a look back at the top 10 KHL players in terms of PNHLE, he finishes, I think, seventh. And we're talking about guys like Tarasenko, Kuznetsov, um, way ahead of even Kaprizov, who's coming in this year. So his numbers were off the charts. I think that he ended up with a 77 in 2015, 2016. Um, and that was the only year he did it. Like, he, he had this phenomenal year. He was young. He was given um, prime time on the top power play and made the most of it. And then from that point forward, he just kind of disappeared. Um, so he's a player that I think, you know, I was sold on. Every single fantasy team or fantasy league that I was a part of, I picked him up. And uh, that fell uh, flat in its face. Um, another player, similar kind of story, a um, little bit more recent, Eli Toivonen. Um, he finished with a 93 in his draft year plus one, uh, playing for Yokurt in the KHL. He had never broken 45 before that or since then. So he had this exceptional year, was a super sniper, and then now he's toiling, um, I think, in Milwaukee, if I'm, if I'm not, uh, not too certain about that. But I'm pretty sure he's playing in Milwaukee. Um, and last year, he actually got a couple of games with the Nashville Predators. This year, they didn't even call him up for one. So uh, that's a player that kind of st sticks out for me. Um, on the other side of things, in last year's draft, uh, Arthur Kaliev was a guy that uh, had just a phenomenal, phenomenal year. Um, he finished second out of every single player, over 8,000 players across 11 different leagues. Um, if I was to give you the list of names that finished at the top of PNHLE, Alexis Lafreniere, Kaliev, Jack Hughes, Adam Fox, Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, Quinton Byfield were the next players. So he finished second amongst everyone. And the crazy part about that is he was not picked until the second round. So yeah, um, I mean, I mean, with Kaliev, I don't think anyone questioned the production. It was just everything else, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's precisely it. So I think that's maybe where Rob Bowman came in too and said maybe this is a, a flyer that we should take inside the second round. Um, and there certainly are warts to his game. And that's where I would never suggest build your um, draft ranking list directly off PNHLE. Um, it's accurate for some things, but overall, again, we're trying to project, you know, where's a player going to end up in the NHL if they make it um, eight, ten years down the road. So um, he's a player, though. I think I would have taken the risk towards the end of the first round at least. Um, you know, he – I don't know if he necessarily made improvements on the game – on parts of his game that bumped him into the second round last year. Um, but still, any player that produces – at that rate without caring, which was one of the knocks on him. Man, could you imagine if he, he actually cared? Right. Like, yeah. I don't know, that's... Like we could talk about draft philosophy and, you know, when the time to take a risk is because so many of those later first round picks are teams that are already loaded and you would think, okay, like they're, they would probably feel pretty confident about their ability to develop prospects, have that culture and be able to take a player who maybe effort is questionable, but we can bring them in, but maybe they've also got an overconfidence in terms of what they think they can determine the, whether a player actually does care or not. And so they feel like they can determine the psychology of the player before they actually really get their hands on them and, and get them into their practices. Because at the end of the day, I think you're going to have your biggest success stories with the players that are actually all about the game and are going to put in the work. Like they're very unlikely to fail. Exactly. And I mean, I'm just watching the, the Jordan, um, uh, I guess docu series on Netflix right now, and he's that type of player, right? He's that guy that basketball is everything. Crosby was like that. McDavid's like that. Those are the players you want. Um, but again, like you said, it's all about uh, risk analysis. Like, where should we take this guy? And if we develop him properly, if we actually spend the resources in making him care, or at least you know, putting surrounding him with the best coaches and the best players perhaps that we can elevate his game to the next level. Um, similar story too, like uh, some of the highest PNHLEs that I've seen were guys like Tony D'Angelo when he was playing in the OHL. And you take a look at the year that he just had, you know, it took him a while to get there. It took him a few different organizations in Tampa and Arizona, um, but he's, he's going to get a big pay raise this year, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a certain point where it makes sense to take a big swing on talent and where that point is. I don't know. I, I think that some franchises feel like they can't afford the PR hit because schmucks like me come back 10 years later and, <laughs> and do, and do redraft pods and make fun of all their, their horrible decisions when, uh, when I, I've, you know, I, playing in my fantasy leagues I've made I've made some terrible ones myself and I don't have millions of dollars on the line and, and no one's yeah. coming back and and making fun of me for it so um you can certainly understand why there's some risk averseness there but at a certain point the the risk threshold uh, gets crossed uh this season is there anyone who stands out as well above the pack by PNHLE but people aren't ranking them very high 
Um, I would say a guy that's starting to gain a little bit of steam uh, would be Nick Robertson, uh, played for the Peterborough Peets. Uh, so he finished first amongst all players that had previously been drafted. Uh, so he finished with an 89 this year, just sort of edged out at the end of the year, uh, Connor McMichael, who had been leading all season. So Nick Robertson, again, another guy that was passed over. Uh, I love Nick round. Robertson. I yeah, love he's... Nick Robertson. I wasn't using PNHLE, but just looking at the data on prospects dots, dot stats, and looking at kind of the the projections that they had in terms of his time on ice. And then he's another guy who like Quentin Byfield has that late birthday. And it's like, wait a minute, he's doing all this stuff and he's a year younger than half of this draft class. Well, and that's exactly it. What, what's he going to do? So my, my brain was putting together the PNHLE apparently. Yeah. Well, that's exactly, I think we all sort of do. And I mean, um, I had been developing the stat for, I don't know, probably the last decade um, and, you know, spreadsheet after spreadsheet, trying to rank players, trying to figure out where age fits into the equation, but not an actual model for it. Not one single thing where you just pop in these four, four values and a single number comes out. And then I had the luxury. Um, I was going through my master's and I had a, a math class and it was math problem solving. So I did my master's at the university in New Brunswick, but I did it entirely distance. And I found out about a week into uh, one of the semesters that they changed the designation for one of the courses. So my course was part-time distance and part-time in class. Well, I live a thousand miles away, so I can't make those in-class sessions. Um, and I was unable to enroll in another class. So I talked to the professor and he granted me sort of an exception and said, you gotta come up with a big project, it has to be math related. So it was the perfect opportunity to start developing PNHLE as a, an actual stat. So um, I was lucky enough to sort of put everything together. I sort of had some stuff already built um, on the back end already, and it was just a way to um, come up with the model, which is pretty pretty exceptional. Look at you making lemonade out of a uh, out of a tough situation. You were more prepared than any of us for this uh, for this quarantine situation, weren't you? <laughs> Well, here's the crazy part is, um, so my wife and I, um, this past summer, um, we just had our first child. So uh, she took the first um, close to nine months for maternity leave. And I had actually submitted for the, the rest of it as a paternity leave. Um, so lo and behold, February comes and I'm off and then we get hit with a global pandemic. So it's almost as if life has not changed all that much for myself. Um, and uh, my wife was able to extend her leave too. So we're all at home together and one nice little happy family, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that that is working out well for you. Thank you. Um, so talking PNHLE, uh, where do you stand on the USHL guys like Colangelo and, and Brisson? I, I was just looking at some of their scoring numbers in that league and comparing them to similar aged type players. There's a lot of success stories like Joe Pavelski who start popping up onto the scene when you make those comparisons and they seem to be climbing up draft boards. Uh, what's going on there? 
Yeah, I think uh, legitimately so. I could see both of them pushing towards the end of the first round. More than likely, we're going to see them go in the second round. Uh, wouldn't surprise me, though, if we saw them. You know, I think Brisson could push 20th overall. Like, he, he could end up that high. Um, he's a natural goal scorer, high hockey IQ, and he's a solid skater. And those are the things that you definitely want in a prospect that you're going to use up a first round pick on uh colangelo more of a power forward game it's going to take him a little bit longer to get there uh, but he's also a smooth smooth skater definitely more of a playmaker um, i went back and i actually took a look at players that were in the range for pnhle now pnhle coming out of the uh, ushl is a little bit a little bit different um, and the reason for that is the usntdp program is built inside of the model and previously i've never separated the two so if a player's playing on the national development program they are considered equal to a player that's playing on the chicago steel like both brisson and colangelo and last year we just saw quite possibly the best development program team we're ever going to see uh, with the likes of turcott and jack hughes uh, cam york um spencer trevor zegras yeah that, that guy like, makes <clears throat> insane passes yeah so and it's just like i mean john beecher was a first round pick last year with the bruins so there's a ton of talent coming from that team but if you take a look back in the last 20 years or so the top players inside the united states hockey league were all pretty much coming from that team in fact i think the only player that did not that finished in like the top 20 that didn't play on the development program team was Bobby. Wait, Brink let me guess. Year. Oh, I was going to guess oh, Bobby. Brink. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> I was just yeah. looking to show off anyway. So that's, that's, that's good content. Um, now crazy part is Bobby Brink. There's another guy that didn't go in the first round last year. So what's up with that? Now, uh, as it, as it turns out, 2019, probably a loaded draft class. Yeah, I I certainly think so. It's man, and they all came from pretty much that that program. So if I take a look at all of the players that are in the same range as Brisson and Colangelo during their draft year, um, and I take out all of the players that played for the development program, here are the good players that came from that that end up in the same range: Kyle Connor, Johnny Goudreau, Brock Besser, Jake Gensel and J JT Comfer. So that that's might give an idea. Yeah, it's a really good list. Now, on the other end, here are some players that also ended up that are still, uh, their rights are still owned by NHL teams. Cooper Merity, TJ Tynan, Corey Chop. Actually, I don't think he's owned by anyone anymore. Uh, and Cam Morrison. Mm, so some guys so, who kind of, they tapped out as, uh, as quad A type players. Exactly. So the question is, do you think Brisa is a part of the good list or the bad list? And I don't know. Um, I mean, a lot of people smarter than I am are going to come up with that decision um, perhaps next month. Right. And that's where we get back to our our thoughts about uh, value and where that risk threshold gets crossed. It's It's probably in and around pick 15 as soon as you want to, you're, you're starting to throw darts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so again, age related type, uh, type question. Uh, 
Jack Quinn's age 17 production uh, last year, not this past year, but the year before that as an age 17 in the OHL, it's like basically half a point per game. Uh, do you have any reservations about that? What does PNHLE say about that type of production? So I think Jack Quinn is probably one of the most interesting players in the draft. Um, perhaps one of the most polarizing prospects. Uh, he's certainly climbed draft boards since the season has been done. Um, I was lucky enough, uh, being from the Ottawa area, to watch Quinn play when he was playing with the Canada Lasers as a 16-year-old in the CCHL. Uh, so he oftentimes came to Smith Falls, my my neck of the woods. Um, so I, you know, he he had quite a bit of buzz around him when he was coming. So I was specifically watching him. Um, he led the team in points per game as a 16-year-old, which is, I mean, there are 20-year-olds on his team. Um, he's got a lot of natural ability. Um, I wouldn't have guessed that he was going to be a potential first rounder in the NHL draft, especially a couple of years later, but um, lo and behold, he is. Um, here are a couple of interesting facts about Quinn. Uh, Quinn was a 50 plus goal scorer this year in his draft year, which is extremely exceptional. The list of players that have accomplished that feat in the last 20 years Patrick Kane, Steven Stamkos, John Tavares, Archer Kaliev. Alex Debrinkat and Jeff Skinner. So that's some pretty elite company. And he also did it in a shortened season, which is pretty amazing. That's so like almost, I, almost that entire list has scored at least 30 goals in an NHL season. That's exactly it. So hmm. yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now to go back to your question, what, what happened last year? Well, last year he was designated almost primarily in, a third line role with very limited um, power play time. So when you look at that, his, his PNHLE, um, and I'm not sure what it was, I think it was like 33 last year, shows that that probably equates to a third line player. So if a player is playing third line and it looks like his potential is a third line player, that means if he's able to jump up to a second line role or a first line role, he's probably going to start putting up those points. Now, whether or not the coach believes he is a first line player or a second line player is entirely up to them. But Ottawa was an extremely strong team last year. So there's good reason that he was playing on that third line. Um, there's kind of two sides of the story when I think about Jack Quinn. The first is that other than power play time, he played very little time with Marco Rossi this year. He started out the season on, on the first line with him, but the coach felt it was better to split those two up and to try to get better matchups uh, both home and away. So it was Quinn going against weaker competition because teams were putting up their best defensive combos and best defensive forwards against Rossi. Or on the flip side, Quinn's line mates were not nearly as strong as he was playing with Marco Rossi. So there's both sides of the story here that you could look at and you could say, you know, maybe Quinn wasn't going against strong competition. So he was able to eat them up or he's not playing with stronger players. So he had to sort of carry the load. Um, and he definitely did that this year. Um, there was one other little tidbit I remember reading a while ago and, it's that he admitted that he had never started working out until he was about 15 to 16 years old, which would put him the, right before the year that we're talking about right now. So imagine a hockey player that doesn't work out and then finally does, and then it jumps up that he can score 50 plus goals after he's putting in a full legitimate off season. 
And I think that's the big piece that is starting to rise him up these rankings. Um, and there's a lot of rumblings coming from NHL scouts that they might actually be looking at him higher than Rossi because they believe his upside might eventually be that much higher. Now, I don't know if that's actually going to be the case, but that's still pretty impressive. Interesting. And as I understand, he also underwent uh, something of a growth spurt between these past two seasons as well. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot to take into consideration here. Where he falls is he's he's one of the most unique uh, first rounders that's probably going to go um, anywhere. I would think probably in the 10 to 20 range. Interesting. Yeah. Again, another guy who where where do we fall on that risk profile? Where right. uh, <laughs> when do we want to take that plunge? I wow. If he jumped up into the top five, that would be fireworks. It would for sure. Now we we have the luxury that we do it on our fantasy team, and we might lose a couple of bucks. But when you're an NHL organization, that's a difficult choice to make. You know, I think there are some other surefire guys that look like they're going to be legit NHLers uh, that I would probably take ahead of him just because of that risk factor. Right. And how many defensemen are going to jump up into the top ten because GMs yeah. can't help themselves? Yeah, that's that's so true. I'm not pointing out anyone in particular, Ken Hall and Philip Robert. <laughs> not angry at nope. all that Trevor Zegras isn't an Oilers prospect. Not even, <laughs> not even remotely upset. Uh, well, the, the Oilers pick this year should be an interesting one. Um, right. I, I, I kind of want to save that for, for later sure, unless... Sure. Uh, unless you've got something something pressing no no i'm good to keep going if you are okay so uh you referenced kind of the quinn working out and uh you know training and, and developing his body that way i'm supremely interested in the nhl combine and the fact that they really don't give us all that much information coming out of those like unless someone bombs a test we really don't get right. all that much information like i'd love it if they just gave us all the data so that we could start developing models because the nfl they have come out with some very intriguing models based on that data so have you thought about diving into what data does come available at the nhl combine and what could be most useful um i did take a look at some some things um and i found them interesting i don't typically dive into that too much but um here's some some things i took a look at the top rated player from last year's combine uh in each of the tests that they ran so um you might notice a little trend to to this so in the vo2 max duration igor spiridonov came first in the vo2 max output it was igor uh Afanasev. Uh, the agility left side, Alex Newhook. The agility right side, Samuel Bolduc. I don't even think Alex Newhook finished top 10 on the right side, which is kind of interesting. Um, the Wingate average power output, Jaden Struble. Um, the Wingate peak power output was Niles Hoglinder. The fatigue index, Ilya Nikolaev. Bench press, Jaden Struble. Vertical jump, Warren Mish. Marshall, the squat jump, Taylor Goche, the grip strength, Jaden Struble, and the pull-ups, Mikhail Abramov. 
So what I pull from that is that other than Alex Newhook, there's not a star amongst any of the top guys. Niels Hoglander could eventually be that type of player. Although. Mm-hmm. And is Alex Newhook the Derek Zoolander of NHL prospects? He can only go one way. Yeah, <laughs> very, very well. Maybe a defenseman might start looking at that, though. He's going to start going left side over time. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to enter into his scouting report for sure. When I looked at the top 10 list, you know, there might have been one or two top 10 guys inside of each list. But, but other than that, it was kind of a who's who of like fourth and fifth round picks. So... I don't know if I take a lot from from the combine. Um, this may sound a little bit weird, but probably one of the most important things I would take from it is you're actually getting an accurate measure of height and weight. Um, so when we take a look at a hockey program, you know, you're you're sitting in um, the concourse before a game, and you you pay five bucks for for the program, and you take a look, and Johnny Goudreau's listed at five nine. That's not very true. Um, I think even when I played, I was listed as 5'11". No one told me I couldn't get measured with my goalie skates on. Um, (laughs) Off the ice, off the ice, I was probably more apt to be around 5'8 or so. Um, But, you know, like people lie. And um, the combine actually gives you an accurate result for those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I remember going to provincials for volleyball in high school and we had about three guys on the team who were above six feet tall, but our starting lineup was all listed at over six feet tall, just so that no <laughs> one could, no one reading the program could uh, think that we were we were going to get picked on. Exactly. Yeah, I guess that, that would be valuable information. And of course, like the teams, I think the biggest information is the medical, right? They're going to be able to yeah. find out what underlying problems are there and really boost those risk assessments. And they're not going to get that information this year. So do you think there's going to be no. a, just a shit ton of mistakes? Well, yeah, like like certainly from the medical report, you'd have to assume that teams are going to do their homework in terms of um, interviewing prospects, taking a look at their teams, talking to the medical staff on, on each of the teams. Hopefully they're truthful, um, but who knows? Um, just give me one second. Um, so yeah, like, I don't know. Um, I think one of the things too is that there's probably a lot of Zoom calls going on with uh, sports psychologists. Um, you know, those interviews that would typically happen at the combine might be one of the most valuable pieces of information that you could pull from that. Uh, and they're coming up with more creative questions to try to throw those, you know, cookie cutter answers from prospects um, totally off the trail. I think it was Brian Burke was saying, you know, he would always ask what type of dog you have. And most of the prospects had never heard that one before. Um, you know, are you going to say like a big Rottweiler because you're tough or are you going to say a little Yorkie Terrier and that's going to make you look like a, a little wiener in there? <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. Um, do you think that the Arizona Coyotes have figured out how to figure out everyone's like genome and, and blood type over Zoom? <laughs> um, well, I think the Coyotes probably have the biggest advantage right now because they were doing some illegal testing on a lot of these prospects um, before the combine, but they did get caught. So I don't know the end result of that one. 
but they might have a treasure trove of information that no no other team has right now. Yeah, I think uh, I think if any punishment comes down, it's going to be that they have to release all that information to every other team. Uh, so you, you mentioned the Edmonton Oilers picking probably around 20 in this upcoming draft. So who should I be stoked about if they fall to them? Um, so if, if things stay the same and they do end up picking in the 20 range. So first up, I think this year's draft is so strong. There are about 15 players that I would consider a traditional top 10 pick. Fuck, that number so that does might, not start with a two, so the, I'm, yeah, I'm already panicking but, here. But the thing is, all of those typical 10 to 20 range also get pushed back. So it means the Oilers are going to end up probably with a player who might be considered, you know, maybe 13 or 14 in a traditional draft, which is a pretty big bonus. And I think Ken Holland needs to realize, and he's a smart guy, so I think he will realize this, that all you have to do is now insulate Dreisaitl and McDavid. That's your goal. If you want to build a dynasty right now, you don't need to swing for the fences and hit home run on some potential superstar. You need to figure out a player that's going to be able to play alongside both of those two guys. And the fact that you have Nugent Hopkins sitting on that third line centering, if he's not up playing with one of those two, is just an added bonus because he's an exceptional player. So here are the guys that I have right now in the 10 to 20 range based on my rankings. Uh, Yaroslav Askarov, Jake Sanderson, who probably will end up going into the top 10 because he's a defenseman, Noel Gundler, Seth Jarvis, Jack Quinn, Connor Zary, Dawson Mercer, Dylan Holloway, Rodion uh, Amirov, and Hendrix Lapierre. So that means if the Oilers choose not to go off the board, they're going to get one of those guys. And for me, I think there's not a miss amongst any of them. I think all, all 10 of those will be fantastic NHLers. And which one should I, I be most stoked if they, if they snag them? Which, which one's your favorite? Um, for me, for, for the perfect fit for the Oilers, Dawson Mercer. Interesting. I think, is, I think he is the prototypical hockey player. He's you know, when you think of a hockey player that's got grit, that drives hard to the net, that has good finishing, good playmaking, um, is not scared to take the body, he is the perfect fit. And the fact that he's a winger, put him on either one of those two lines, Dreisaitl or McDavid, and I think he's going to put up a huge ton of points. Yeah, I, the, the guy that I'm kind of secretly hoping that they snag is Seth Jarvis just looking at those numbers in the WHL this season, which you, you mentioned out of the CHL leagues was a slightly lower scoring one. Uh, it, it jumps off the page. Yeah. Yeah. I think like right now, um, I'm just taking a quick look. Um, Seth Jarvis finished eighth overall in PNHL league. So again, over 8,000 players around the world outside of the NHL and he's eighth overall. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah. So I don't think there's a miss missing any of those 10 guys that I just listed. Interesting. And no concern about uh, about Hendricks Lapierre and the injuries, or that's just kind of factored in? I think I think that's a part of it. Um, if he played a full season, 
and was entirely healthy, he's going top 10. So um, is there some risk there? Yeah, for sure. Um, concussion, you know, is probably the worst risk of all. Um, but we've seen other players like Crosby come back from that and have entirely healthy careers. Well, maybe not entirely healthy, but uh, in terms of concussions, uh, as long as you take it slow and you have the proper medical team looking out for you, I think uh, you can certainly recover from that. Awesome. Uh, Mason, I heard a dog and a baby, so it sounds like <laughs> y'all may, <laughs> may have your, your hands full a little bit here. So uh, I'm going to, you've been more than generous with your time, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, do you want to plug some stuff before you dip out? Um, maybe just the app. Um, you know, it's, it's just a hobby of mine, so it's not like I got a professional team behind me. Um, I'm certainly not a graphic designer, which is kind of the... Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of people look at it and say, oh, geez, um, this doesn't look good, which is a detriment because uh, hopefully it doesn't push too many people away. But um, if you got an Android device, if you got an iPhone, I'd really appreciate if you download the app. Um, I add new features all the time. The one I'm working on right now is I'm trying to come up with uh, something very similar to the Tankathon. Uh, the only difference there is you can actually select a team. So you can select the Oilers and go in and, and have a mock draft inside of it. So not just a, a lottery. Um, yeah, so that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, you, you mentioned that art and certainly uh, I've, I, I've tried to get some art for my podcast, but right now I'm, I'm rocking uh, something I snipped off of a slideshow and it looks completely ridiculous. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, once again, Mason, thank you for coming on the pod. This was an awesome conversation. I did not mind the diversion off the hop whatsoever. <laughs> I, I think I've got to awesome. get you on again one of these days. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, everyone, that's our show. Thanks for tuning in once again. And wasn't that just a fantastic interview with Mason Black? Uh, you know, we kind of went off the the beaten path of hockey a little bit there, talking about some of his uh, other apps that he's doing with his students. But I got to say, uh, I was super intrigued and, and a little bit flabbergasted and floored uh, just thinking about the projects that he's taken on with his students. And I find myself just magnificently inspired by that story. I want to get out there. You know, I'm working fire this summer in a, a tech position where I'm kind of overseeing crews. So now I'm all fired up to go out and teach some of those crews and do some training with them and, you know, kind of pass on what I can and inspire them to do work. And then, uh, you know, we, we just did, uh, we're virtually doing our athletic awards banquet at the high school uh, to celebrate some of our best athletes. And now I want to, you know, hopefully there's going to be a high school sports season next year and I hope to be able to coach again and I can't wait to dive in and do that. And, I don't know. Hopefully I'm conveying just how absolutely uh, passionate I am about this stuff and how, how wonderfully inspiring that, that tale was from Mason. So, you know, he certainly seems like a wonderful person. I, I enjoyed that conversation so, so much. Um, I, I can't say enough. Uh, make sure you check out the NHL ranking app. I also downloaded the Vimy Ridge app. Uh, excited to dive into some of that stuff. Uh, once I find myself some time and hopefully you do so as well. 
Uh, also, apologies for you know the train wreck that was my explanation of that uh, that horse racing widget app. Uh, it was several years ago, but uh, if you want to look it up, the company is now called Unanimous AI. It used to be Unu, and they were able to correctly predict the top four slots in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, back in 2016, I believe, using what they are calling swarm intelligence. So I didn't vocalize any of that in a coherent manner, but hopefully the, the message was conveyed. And if you're listening to this follow-up, you know now where you can find that stuff. So again, apologies for my decayed uh, brain follicles that uh, couldn't resuscitate that information for you in a timely manner. But here we are. And if you're still sticking with me this long, uh, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps me out a lot. And, and please share it on the on the social medias. Okay. Uh, again, I I love this episode. Uh, maybe my favorite episode thus far, and I've had a lot of fun doing this. So thanks again to Mason. Thanks to y'all, and we're out. <laughs>